is, it is good to be together. It's good to be together here in uh, Church of Jesus Christ, to be able to, to worship Him together with brothers and sisters in Christ, to be able to lift up our hearts to Him, uh, to be able to hear from uh, God's Word together as we together take a look at this. And Christ alone, I mean, it's what everything that we do here is about. If we ever stray from that, we're, we're getting off base, but Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us this morning to think deeply about your Son. Your Son that you sent into this world, who lived the perfect life that we have failed to live. And yet he fulfilled all, all righteousness in your eyes. And he died the death on the cross that he did not deserve. We deserved punishment forever, Lord. But he took our place. And he did not stay dead. He is risen and he has ascended and he is coming back. And in the meantime, he has given us the, the privilege of, of knowing Jesus Christ, of making him our, the desire of our heart. And we thank you that because of what he did, we can, we can know him. We can have a relationship with Jesus Christ forever. And that together we can help each other to know him, to worship him, to tell others about Jesus Christ. So we ask one thing, that may, may Jesus Christ be lifted up in our church, in our hearts, in our lives. May he be glorified. May he be the one that is our focus, that is our praise. He is our Savior, our Lord, the one that is our, our treasure. There's nothing else that we could be pointed to that is more beautiful and wonderful than Jesus Christ. So help us to think deeply about you. May your word be opened up and Jesus Christ lifted up. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12 Yes, today we are talking about Christ alone. And we think of the five solas of the Reformation. And each week we think about how important each of uh, these solas are. And you can make a case, each one, as we're thinking about it, that this must be the most important one. This is so essential to everything else. But... Christ alone. I mean, this, this is the center. This, we, are, we are Christians. We are followers of Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He is our, our, our Lord. He is the one that uh, God the Father sent to, be, to save us. He is the one that is supposed to be the, the focus of our heart, the focus of our, our energy to, to serve and to, to live for and to delight in. Christ alone. I mean, the, the beautiful thing about grace is that through grace, we're, we're forgiven so that we can, uh, we can be with Jesus Christ forever. The beautiful thing about faith is that through faith alone, we receive this grace so that we can delight and be with Christ forever. The beautiful thing about Scripture is that we can know about all this and we can know Christ. And so we can focus on Him and worship Him forever. And all of this is to the glory of God. You can't take away any of these, these five solas. These are biblical and these are all absolutely important. 
And they're all about Jesus Christ. So as we think about this today, sola Christus, Christ alone. The main point for today is salvation is earned for us by Christ alone. And he is our one, our all-sufficient Savior. We're going to unpack this. We're going to look at at least three things that the Reformers meant when they talked about Christ alone. But at the core, this is it. There, there's one Savior. There is no other Savior. If you're looking for someone else, if, if Jesus Christ isn't your thing and you want to find, do you have some options? You do not have options. There is no other uh, God-man that has been sent to save you. There is no other way. You are not going to uh, do it yourself. There is no one else. Salvation is in no one else. You don't need anyone else. You don't want anyone else. No one can compare to the Savior that we have. And that we, as we'll see, that we have, we have union with through what He did for us. This is mind-blowing to realize what Jesus Christ has done for us and what he allows us to have with him and the joy that we have with Christ forever. And so grace, yes, it is given to us, or salvation by grace alone, an entirely free gift. That's what we talked about last time. But it had to be earned by someone because grace is not God turning a blind eye to our sin and pretending it didn't happen. Someone paid the bill for us. And we're going to see that's Jesus Christ and that he is an all-sufficient Savior. And if he is all-sufficient, it means you don't need someone else. There's no one else that needs to be added to this. So let's dive into this. The first thing that we're going to say is that, yeah, salvation is earned for us by the perfect life and the substitutionary death of Christ alone. This is how God is able to give us this grace. Some of you might know exactly how many days we have until Christmas. I don't know. I know uh, Hope's at home today with Joel because he's got a fever, but she knows yesterday we're getting Christmas catalogs already. And many people are going to be getting Christmas gifts. We're going to be buying gifts for each other for kids. And in a, when you're a kid and you get a Christmas gift, it's, it's free to you. But you realize later on, somebody had to pay the bill for this. Somebody had to buy this present that is given to you. That they don't, just, they don't just materialize. And so, Jesus Christ is the one that bought and earned and purchased this gift of salvation for us. This salvation that is not just the fact that we don't have to go to hell, but it's even more, the bigger deal by a billion times is that we get to be with Him forever and ever and ever in ever-increasing joy with Jesus Christ. So it's earned for us by Him and we see by his, by his perfect life, he fulfilled all righteousness and his death for us, which he died as a substitute for us. It is not from ourselves. It's not from any, any human source that we could possibly have. So it's not, as sometimes it's taught in the Middle Ages and in some uh, different denominations, that we do our best and we, or maybe God gives us some grace and then we have to cooperate with that and we have to kind of build on that. And then, therefore, we earn it and we, we merit our own salvation. And it's not enough to say, well, God gives us you know, some grace so that we could start doing that. No, we said last time, it is grace from beginning to end. And we see it's also not given to us by, by anyone else besides Christ. It's not earned for us by, 
by other, other Christians. It's not earned for us by, uh, by Mary or anyone else, but it's in Christ alone. And that we're saved because Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. That it is credited to us, given to us as a gift. That He took the penalty on the cross. We'll talk about that in a bit. A few scriptures. Let me read a few and then we'll look at uh, Romans 3 in depth. Ephesians 1.7 In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. So the reason that we can have this grace is because of the, the redemption that's from His blood. He was shedding His blood on the cross for us. 1 John 1.7 says, If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. From all sin. So He takes care of every part of it. It's not this a split decision. He'll take care of part, and we take care of part. Or some other uh, human merit takes care of a part of this. If Jesus' blood cleanses us from all sin, it cleanses us from all sin. We could look at passages in, in Hebrews. In your notes, I have um, a sample of Hebrews 9, uh, 26 to 28, but there's plenty of uh, places that Christ has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And this, is, this idea that is, is throughout Hebrews, that Christ is the one, the final high priest. He is the one that made the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. And that it is a once and done thing. And because it's been accomplished, it's been paid, there's nothing else that needs to be paid. Uh, there, you're not getting another bill for uh, amounts that you're not paying interest on amount that's still owed. We're not making payments on it. It's been paid in, in full by Christ. And that's why, as Protestants, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we don't call it a Mass. We don't believe it is another sacrifice of Christ or a representation of his original uh, sacrifice because it's, it's done. It is completed. And that's one of the things that the Reformers, looking at Scripture, especially Hebrews, they realize as well. But a great passage we can, we can look at, and I'd love to be able to have weeks to look through this, is in Romans three twenty one through 26. And I'll say this, this is the most important paragraph in the Bible. This is uh, the most important. There's so much of the doctrine of salvation, of Jesus Christ, what he came to do, that is packed in this paragraph. Which, by the way, men, we're going through Romans and one, on Wednesdays for Bible study. Do you know uh, where we're at this coming week? We are doing this paragraph. It's been great, we men that have been coming out. And I, I encourage you, it's a really great time as we, we talk through this together and try to understand Scripture. So we'll look at this uh, briefly. It says, But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So th- what is, this is going to explain is that we're given a righteousness, not a righteousness that we get by being good, not a righteousness that God infuses into us, But the righteousness that saves us is something that doesn't have to do with us keeping the law, but it's something that is credited to us. It's given to us as as a gift. Martin Luther described it as an alien righteousness. 
And what he meant by that is it comes from, uh, from outside and it is given to us. So it's not generated, the righteousness that, that saves you initially from the inside out, it is given to us. And it's Christ's righteousness given to us as a gift. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction. And we'll talk about that next week, faith alone. That's how we receive it. You know, just because uh, you've been offered a great gift, if you just let it there and you don't unwrap it, you don't take it and receive it, it's, it's still sitting there, but you don't have it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Talked about that last week as well, how, how deep our sin is. We fall short. We are sinners. We cannot save ourselves. No matter how dedicated you are to turning over a new leaf, even if you could live a perfect life from here on out, we've already blown it. And our sin is so deep, you're not going to even live a perfect life from here on out, no matter what. It goes on to say, verse 24 and 25, and these are, these are key for us, and are justified, it means declared righteous, by his grace, as a gift. <clears throat> How? Through the redemption that is in who? Christ Jesus. And what did Christ Jesus have to do to, to earn this gift for us, to, to pay for it? Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received through faith. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's where he, he, was, he was paying our sin debt off when he hung there on the cross bleeding and in pain and agony, with the physical pain and with the, the wrath of God being poured down upon him, the wrath of God that we deserve, that he was taking for us in our place, being a propitiation, a sacrifice that satisfies God's wrath, God's righteous holy wrath, his anger against sin that, that we deserved, that we should have taken. He took it upon himself. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over the former sins. He had been letting him go. He had had patience on us, but he couldn't let this go forever. He couldn't just turn a blind eye to sin. So it was to show, the cross was to show his, God's righteousness at this present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So he could remain holy. God wasn't going to give up his holiness to save us. He couldn't do that. He found a way through the cross to save us by grace, by still and still hanging on to his holiness, which we need. We wouldn't want to worship a God that, that abandoned his, his holiness or, or lowered his standards. But instead, Christ met the standards for us. So this means that there is, there's no salvation uh, by merit. We can't have that. Instead, Christ, what he did for us, died in our place. I don't know how many of you, maybe back in the day, uh, were, were in scouting. I was thinking about this, about being saved by merit. And I don't know if some of you were in, I was in Cub Scouts, and I know scouting is not quite the same as what it is, and I'm not going to get into that, but you're in these merit badges, you know, for these accomplishments that you have. And so you get your, your sash, and you have the different merit badges for different, uh, you know, different things, you know, the archery merit badge, and all these uh, different things. 
and you try and get as many as you can and uh, be proud of all the merit, that you, the things that you have earned. It's a merit badge because you earn it. I went online to kind of look, see what merit badges they have today, and I noticed, I don't remember a few of these when I was a kid. Uh, they have now movie making, game design, uh, geocaching, and nuclear science. I was like, wow, I don't know what they're doing in nuclear science. You know, uh, today we will learn how to make plutonium from common household objects. <laughs> There's some that have been discontinued. I looked that up. Uh, no, long, you, no longer can you get a merit badge in beef production, um, taxidermy. Uh, they used to have one for master at arms. That sounds pretty awesome, actually. And there used to be a merit badge, merit badge for stalking. Uh, which that takes a whole different... Uh, <laughs> today, that would be a big demerit badge if you, if you had that one. But I think the common assumption that so many people have is that they're going to try and stand before God with their merit badges. And they're trying to do just as many good things as they can in their life. You know, we'll donate some money here. We'll do some good deeds. Uh, we'll try to raise awareness for this or that or a lot of times it's, you know, whatever is the socially acceptable feel-good thing. You know, sometimes we get down on ourselves and we think, well, if I uh, really uh, show some remorse, I can do this and I can have the remorse merit badge or uh, you know, all these different things. But we view them as merit badges and we think that we're going to go before God and we're going to stand and he's going to say, okay, look at merit, okay, yep, that's enough. Hey, come on in. And as we've seen, the message of the Bible is there's no way that's going to work that you are not saved by law-keeping, you are not saved by merit. We just, we can't be. That's not how it works. Plus the fact that we don't actually have merit badges. I mean, if we tried to do this, we would have a, a giant sash full of sin badges. You know, wouldn't we? I think real early on, you know, we start and maybe, you know, even as a kid, we're working on those sin badges. So early on, we got the, uh, uh, the, the disobedience to par- parents badge. You know, got that one. You know, the complaining badge, or we got the, uh, you get older and there's different things. People are getting the, the lust badge, or there's the you know, swearing badge, the selfishness badge, uh, bitterness badge, all these you know, different things. Some people, they're, they're working real hard to get their self-righteousness badge, okay? Um, maybe you never got around to working on your laziness badge, but good news, <laughs> then you just get that one anyways. But here's the thing. This is the message that we were seeing, how salvation really works. You, you can't stand before God in your merit badges. We just have a bunch of sin badges. And we keep adding to that. And even the merit badges maybe we think we have, really we got disqualified for those because we broke the rules and even get in the merit badges. So the way that we're saved is, well, there was one person that came, one only, that was able to earn all the merit badges. I mean, every single one. None that are even missing. And he walked this earth 2,000 years ago. And he said, here, i got a gift I want to give you. And he said, if you believe, if you receive this, is let's switch. And Jesus says, I will give you my sash full of my merit badges. I kept the law perfectly. No one else did. I fulfilled everything. I, I never sinned. And everything good I was supposed to do, I did with all my heart all the time and for the glory of God. And I have this. And it earns me place in God's perfect heaven. And you know what? I'll switch with you, Jesus says. And that means that he takes upon himself just our, our sin badges. Just a whole sash full of, full of shame. 
And we, we have to double up our sin badges too. we got so many. And, and He takes them all. And He hangs there on the cross, becoming a curse for us, with our sin hung around Him, taking the wrath of God that we deserve and Jesus took upon Himself and said, so gives us the credit for His righteousness so that we can stand before God, so that you can stand before God, not clothed in your righteousness, but a righteousness that comes from God through Jesus Christ. You can't earn that. All you can do is accept that if it is offered to you. And it is offered to you. If you are here and you are still thinking you are going to go before God with your sash, give that up. Accept this trade and realize how beautiful and how wonderful and loving Jesus Christ is. Let me read this quote. This is from Staupitz. This was Martin Luther's mentor and confessor. And this was actually written a year before the 95 Theses, but this, this is great. I ran across this. He said, If you think that we have not praised the Lord's mercy enough by showing how he justifies us by his own righteousness, and even enters into a marriage union with sinners, then understand that he does even more. He makes our sin his own. The Christian is righteous through Christ's righteousness. Likewise, Christ is unrighteous and sinful through the Christian's guilt. On hearing this, the Jew cries out blasphemy and the Greek madness, but the believer says it is so. Now let us leave aside everything else and consider only this, whether he who is sinless by nature, talking about Jesus, can be conceived as a sinner. Jesus' own confession clearly convicts him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me, involved in transgressions as I am? He's quoting from uh, the Psalms and the Vulgate. How precious Jesus can these be your words? Clearly I see the answer. God has loaded on you the iniquity of all. And you alone are the Lamb of God who carries the sins of the world. You are mine, O Jesus, and all that you have is mine. And I am yours, and whatever I have is yours, because we are one. What is yours becomes mine, while still remaining yours. And in the same way, what is mine becomes yours, while still remaining mine. Therefore, I am righteous because of your righteousness, though I am a sinner because of my own guilt. And you are a sinner because of my guilt, though you are righteous because of your own righteousness. And you have just seen the sins of the Christian are transferred to Christ. And they become the sins of Christ. That's why he died and took care of them on the cross. And because he's the God-man, he was able to do this. And this, we see the, the importance of union with Christ. That we're joined with Christ. Sometimes people say, well, this way of salvation, this is a legal fiction. I can't, we shouldn't be saved like this. God has to actually make us good people. This is a legal fiction. But if you think about this being united with Christ, this is no, it is legal, it is something that is forensic or legal, but in the same way as when you get married, that if you married someone that maybe they had a very large college debt or credit card debt, well, guess what? Legally and in reality, that becomes yours now. And if you married someone that had a really good nest egg, hey, guess what? That becomes yours. It is, it is legal, but, it, but it's real. 
And through our union with Christ, He gives us His righteousness and He took, and took care of and put aside our sin that we have. Christ also is the one mediator between God and man. 1 Timothy 2, 5, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way. There's no other bridge. There's no other way of having access. A mediator is a go-between, one that connects to something else. And therefore, we don't have priests anymore. The priests, they were go-betweens between uh, the, the Hebrews and God. They made sacrifices on behalf of man. Jesus Christ is our priest. That's why Pastor Nick and I, we are pastors. We are, we are not priests. Uh, we also, we're not sacrificing anything in, in the Mass. And so that's another reason why we were not called priests. But Jesus Christ is our one mediator. One of the reformers, Zwingli, wrote in his 67 theses, number 20, God will give us everything in Christ's name. Thus it follows that we need no mediator in heaven except Christ. And this means some of the things that, some of the biblical things that we can learn from this that we would, uh, the reformers looked back from and they said, that were going wrong in, uh, in, in the churches, in the medieval church at the time, people were viewing the priests. They were viewing uh, Mary and the, the saints as other mediators, other go-betweens. And the reformers said, no, it straight out says there's one mediator. And that's all, we, that's all that we need. We don't need uh, the intercession of Mary and the saints. They're, they're not other mediators. Uh, sometimes my son uh, Luke at night at night, my son Luke will be ready for bed and he'll say, uh, he used to say it kind of as an accident, he'll say, I'm ready for bed, can you come and pray to me? I say, Luke, we're, we don't pray to you. <laughs> we'll come and pray with you to God <laughs> through Jesus. And a little verbal slip there. And uh, sometimes he says it now, it's just a little joke. But we don't pray to other people, okay? We don't pray to Mary. We don't pray to the saints, and that's something that the Reformers uh, rejected. We don't have another mediator. We can go straight to, uh, to heaven through, uh, through Jesus Christ. And so sometimes you hear, if you listen to Catholic radio, they say, well, it's like asking a friend to pray for you. I say, well, no, it's, it's not in a lot of different ways. And it's also Deuteronomy 18.11 says we're not supposed to contact the dead either. So that's a big thing to take into account. Uh, reformers had a big problem, and I think they're right, with worshiping or even venerating the saints or uh, worshiping Mary. And I think it's a real problem, especially over the Middle Ages, it developed more and more of this devotion, especially to Mary. And yeah, the Bible speaks highly of Mary, but it became something where they, it was uh, just venerating and um, just some of the prayers. I want to read you this. This is an example of a prayer to Mary, just how much this had developed where people are seeking refuge in Mary. And I think the tragedy is that keeps them from taking refuge in Christ alone. Uh, this is a prayer. This is from one of the most um, popular works on Mary. This, edition has gone, this work has gone through 800 editions. This part of this prayer, O Mother of Perpetual Help, Thou art the dispenser of all goods which God grants to us miserable sinners. And for this reason he has made 
uh, thee so powerful, so rich, and so bountiful, that you may help us in our misery. Come then to my help, dearest mother. In thy hands I place my eternal salvation, and to thee do I entrust my soul. If thou protect me, dear mother, I fear nothing, not from my sins, because thou wilt obtain pardon of them, nor from the devils, because thou art more powerful than all hell together, not even from Jesus, my judge himself, because one prayer from thee he will be appeased. And it goes on and says the one thing fear is maybe at the deathbed we'll forget to call out to Mary. I, I think if we could talk to Mary, she would say no. Focus on my son. He is, he is the Savior. He, he alone. You are breaking my heart, I think she would say. Focus on Christ alone. We also, with this, another thing we learn, Christ is our own mediator. And what ties into this also is what the Reformers called the priesthood of all believers. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. See, Christ is our one, he's our high priest, he's our one mediator. But the priesthood of all believers is this concept that we each have direct access to God. You don't need to have a, um, a, a different go-between. You don't need to have priests. You don't need to you know, have pastor pray for you. I mean, I'm willing to pray for you, but you don't need me to because you can go to God. I don't have my special hotline that you don't have, and you call me and I'll put in the request to God for you because you don't have it. No, you all have the, the, the special phone with direct access to God. And you all have the, spe- the thing that gives you the, the message from him. You have equal access to that as, as much as I do. If you have a copy of one of these, and you're in it. So through prayer and through, through Scripture, each of us has the, the right and the privilege of direct communication and access to God. And it's, yeah, it's through Jesus Christ. I think, well, how can, do we need a mediator or do we not? Well, Jesus Christ is our mediator, and because we go to God through him, we are still going to, to God directly because Jesus himself is also God. That's how beautiful it is, and that's how it works. And we could talk about also how this meant that in the Middle Ages, they had this distinction between you had the clergy, you had the priests and the monks, and they were the spiritual ones. And then you had the laity, the regular people. And yeah, we need people working those common jobs and doing those things, but if you were spiritual, you would take some kind of monastic vow or something. And the reformer said, no, we don't see that in Scripture. There's not this split that we're all uh, priests before God. We all have this access. Uh, there might be some of us that God sets apart to, to serve the church in specific ways, but each of us are, are called. And this changed how people viewed work. That uh, the work that the majority of people do is not a shameful thing that, well, it just has to get done because people got to eat. That no, everyone is called. That it's not just uh, the people that uh, are, are called to full-time ministry have vocation. You know, vocation means calling. And they say that you have a calling, you have a vocation if you're a, a priest or something. Everyone else, well, you've got to do what you've got to do. The Reformer said everyone has a vocation. Everyone has a calling from God. And it's not all the same. Some, we're serving God 
You know, if you are uh, the, the milkmaid taking care of that, you are serving God if you are fulfilling your calling. And that any legitimate uh, job is, is a calling from God, and it's serving him, it's done to his glory, it's done for the betterment of humanity. And that God answers prayers through people fulfilling their various callings. Uh, Luther taught that if you pray, uh, uh, give us this day our daily bread, God answers that through uh, farmers and bakers. Yeah, he could and has, you know, in, Israel, in times past, you know, manna from heaven, but the way that you got your last piece of bread is because there's farmers that grew uh, that grain. They harvested it. Uh, there was millers that did their thing. There's bakers that did this and all people involved in it. And so, you know, if you are doing things, you are fulfilling God's calling. You are answering part of God's prayer uh, for other people. The important thing is you, you fulfill what, the calling that God has for you. So, so lifted up marriage. Martin Luther being married, that marriage and, and uh, sexual in, uh, relations were not this evil thing. But last, Christ alone also is the head of the church. He is the head. So not the, not the Pope. Over the Middle Ages, uh, they viewed Peter as being the, the highest of the apostles and it went the, from the Bishop of Rome being important to being first among equals to being uh, the vicar of Peter, and then eventually the vicar of Christ, and all these things that kept being added. And uh, the, the Catholic Church was upset with Luther uh, when they excommunicated him. One of his errors, they said, is that he didn't recognize that the Roman Pope is the vicar of Christ over all the churches in the entire world. And Luther disagreed with that. And Scripture says Christ is the head of the church. This is his church. Colossians 1.18, he is the head of the body, the church. We're not talking about the building, we're talking about Christians. The body of Christ. See that in Ephesians 1.22-23 as well. He put all things under his feet and gave them over head of all things to the church. Well, to so see if, if we looked it up, we'd see that uh, Jesus said at Matthew 16.18, he said, I will build my church. Who's the one that's building his church? It's Jesus' church. He's the one that's building it. He uses us. We should find out how does he want us to be a part of this. And it's part of his work, but ultimately it's him. And if we start trusting in ourselves, if we start trusting in slick techniques or different things, you can get a lot of people together, but we want to build, we want to build his church. We want to follow him. We want to do it the way we're supposed to. Jesus Christ, he is the one that will build this church, and it's his Church, he has the authority to do this. I'm going to finish by looking at Ephesians 5. And this is a passage, sometimes we, we think about this, it has dual meanings. It's in this part where it's talking about the relationship of husbands and wives, but it's also about the relationship between Christ and the church. And for our purposes here, I want to look at this and think of what does this tell us about Christ and the church and just the, the love and the care that he has for us. And yeah, this should be something that husbands, we need to look to this because this is the way that we are supposed to be trying to love our wives with this type of love that's impossible for us, but God will give us grace to grow in this. But in verse 23, it says, For the husband is the, the head of his wife, even as Christ 
is the head of the church. Okay, so Paul assumed they knew that Christ is the head of the church. That's the undeniable thing. So he is, he is the head. It is about him. And he says the head of his church, his body. Talk about the body of Christ. He's the head. We are the body. And he is himself its savior. He saved us. Now as the church submits to Christ, and says so wives should submit and everything to their husbands, part we're looking at is, yeah, as a church, we submit to Christ. He is our Lord. He, we're following his authority. Uh, and his, he deserves to have this authority. He's the head of the church. He is God. He is, he's right in all things. Human husbands, we fail. Uh, all these, but we have a, a head of this church that uh, is worth following. He deserves to be followed. He is the head of this. And think about what he has done for us. It says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Think of how Christ loved the church. How he loved Christians. How he gave himself. He gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her to make her holy. He wants to make his people holy in his sight. And he's, he's given us holiness by, by taking away our sin, by giving us his righteousness. And then he's, he is working in and through us to change us from the inside out so that our hearts are being each day hopefully made more pure, more holy in his, in his sight. So we're being conformed to his likeness. We might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. The word of God is key to this. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is the destiny that God has for his church, that God has, has for Christians to be presented to himself finally on that day at the, the great uh, the, the, the marriage supper of, of the church and, and Jesus Christ as the, the, uh, the, the groom that were presented just radiant, without stain, without wrinkle, to be with him forever in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, for he who loved his wife loved himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Just think about what this says that Christ does for the church. Therefore, what we're supposed to do, he loves the church. He went to the cross for this church. He gave himself, he sanctifies, he, he cleanses. He's working to make the church, to make us every day more and more godly, more and more Christ-like. With each of these, are we? Are we working to help each other to become more holy, to be more cleansed, to be more, more Christ-like? That's what he wants. If we love him, if our destiny is to be with him and to be cleansed, are, are we helping with that as well? Helping our brothers and sisters in Christ? Never doing anything that would lead them into sin or that would, it would take them off the path but helping each other to grow. God calls us to be doing that. Other words that it says here, cleanses, nourishes. Therefore, do we want to see the church nourished so that it has what it needs, that it can, that it can grow, that it can be healthy? We're keeping from things that would, that, would, that would poison, that would detract from it being nourished. And he cherishes the church. The way that a husband should cherish his bride, his wife, is only a shadow of the way that Christ cherishes his church as a local manifestation of the church of God, of Christ's church. Christ cherishes 
this church. He loves this church deeply. How do we treat it? How do we feel about the church? This is why we're here. We're here for Christ, for Christ alone. I mean, who are we here for? If your answer is something besides Jesus, there might be other things that are great, but we're here for Jesus. Whose glory are we here for? We're here to give glory to Jesus. And when we come and we, we worship in a service, we're here to give glory to, to Jesus. We're here from Him to, to receive uh, the only thing we're here to receive from is to, more of uh, knowledge of him so we can glorify him and receive grace and help that we need. But it's all about him. If you're thinking, well, I w- want to have uh, you know, people that I have some commonality with. Well, what's the most important thing in your life? Is it Jesus? That's the great thing about church is that you get people that have completely different uh, interests. But if your main love is Jesus... When we overlap at the most important thing, no matter who you are, Christ will build his church. So let's be faithful in building his church. It's not done by human power. Prayer, God's word, praying for each other, speaking God's word, encouragement into each other's lives, being careful that we're not tearing down what Christ has spilled his blood to build. We're cherishing what he cherishes. You know, it, there's this union, Christ and the church. And if it was expensive for you to save up to buy that engagement ring for, uh, for your uh, wife and your, when, to make her your fiancé, think of what it cost Jesus shedding his blood for us on the cross. So do you love the one that loved us so much? Our salvation was free to us, but it cost him so much. Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. Let's pray and let's worship. Jesus, we come to the Father through Jesus and through Jesus Christ alone. He is our only Savior. We thank you for his righteousness given to us as a gift. We thank you that he took and paid the penalty for us on the cross. We have no other hope. There is no other way that we could stand before you. And there is no other greater treasure that we could receive than knowing Jesus Christ, taking refuge in him, taking joy in him, and knowing him and, and worshiping Jesus Christ alone. So we thank you. We thank you for what you have done. May you be continuously lifted up And may this be a church that is about Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.